everybody. This is Hater Radio. My name is Chris McLean. Tonight I am without a co-host. Ian Gibson is under the weather. Um, he said uh, he was extremely hoarse from the game on Saturday, which we'll talk about. Um, so he won't be here. It'll be just me, like the old days. Like if anyone listened to this three years ago, maybe even more before Ian started being the co-host. It was just me, just me on, on the ones and twos, you know, uh, it was a lot different cause I'm not the best as far as being knowledgeable of every single game like Ian is cause Ian, Ian watches literally everything. So I, I, but I tried my best this week to be on top of every single game once I heard that he wasn't going to be able to make it. So um, hopefully I'll do my best to be able to cover it as best I can. Largely what we do with him, I, you know, I'll I'll know the major games, but then I usually rely on him to give me some of the other ones that I may not have watched. So it really helps the flow of the show. But regardless, what we're going to do is have the normal recap of week one, uh, talk about the games coming up. In between, we'll talk about the Heisman and the uh, possible playoff team. So with that being said, let's review week one, which arguably some of the finishes were from crazy, zany, wild. I mean, everything, every adjective you describe, ridiculous. Like, it just was, it was amazing. I was blown away by how much like good football there was even though it wasn't like necessarily always great there was a lot of very good football games themselves you know it even started on Thursday night there was quite a few good games and uh bled into the weekend you know and then finished last night with that FSU LSU game which was the wildest ending you'll probably see ever um, but, uh, you know, currently as I'm recording this, Georgia tech just scored to go up 24, 10 or, or sorry, Clemson went up on Georgia tech 24, 10. So that game is ending the official weekend. Cause this is labor day weekend. They always try to do a full slate of games throughout the whole weekend to give you uh nonstop college football because the NFL hasn't started yet, which is great. I do love it. It's a, you know, it's the opening weekend. It's, we're full-throated. We have everything going. Uh, it's been exciting, like I said. Uh, so let's get into it. First game we did of note was Ball State, Tennessee. Um, you know, it was a blowout, 59-10. Uh, Hendon Hooker looked really good. You know, their their offense was unstoppable. But again, it's a very lame tomato can of, of opponent. So there's not much to really read out of it. You know, the offense did well. Um, but it looked like Ball State was moving the ball. They uh, just got stopped on a lot of fourth downs when they were taking chances. So that doesn't look great for Tennessee that the, they were able to move the ball on them. Um, they they did not look great on defense, and it may end up biting them next week when they go up against a team like Pitt, which I'll talk about Pitt in a second. Uh, so... Moving on from that, West Virginia Pitt, that was, man, I I really wish they would bring this game back because this was lived up to the billing. The backyard brawl definitely is what it was, and it was exciting. Like, I, 
you know, I loved every second of this. This was, you know, had my attention from the beginning. Um, you know, both the quarterbacks for both teams were uh, transfers from US, uh, USC. Uh, JT Daniels actually <laughs> went to Georgia as well. So it's both of them from USC. Both had played there. Both were there at the same time. Uh, Slovis had t- Keaton Slovis had taken over for uh JT Daniels at one point and then uh Slovis got hurt and he was gone so they both left uh but then Slovis is now the quarterback at Pitt JT Daniels is the quarterback for West Virginia they meet in the backyard brawl of all places you know 3000 miles away from USC and LA uh so this game had a little bit of everything you know there was uh, a tight end playing running back who looks phenomenal, uh, CJ Donaldson, just a freak. I think he had 125 yards on seven carries, which the average was something ridiculous. I was just like, this guy is a monster. I I don't know how they're gonna like not play him going forward, like not really have him as the focus of the offense because. I was just blown away with this kid. He he's like six three, like two fifty or something like that. I don't know exactly, but he was he's a he's a beast. He's hard to bring down, and he's fast as shit. Like that is a ridiculous combination that will result in a lot of big plays, and especially in the Big Twelve where the defense is lacking, to, to say the least. So, uh, you know. Look out for West Virginia as a team to be a possible uh, eight, nine win team this year may surprise some people. I was definitely surprised. I had not thought highly of them in a long while. And this is this might change my uh, my mind on this team, because, you know, if you get a solid running back like Donaldson and decent quarterback play from JG Daniels, which you did in this game, you will get a chance to uh, compete against anybody. And it it came down to the end. Uh, Pitt wins 38-31, and it really came down to the fact that uh, West Virginia um, was driving, and then JT Daniels throws it to an open receiver, and it bounces off his hands, goes right into the DB's hands for Pitt, and he runs it back, scores, and that was it. Then, like, well, actually, I forgot. West Virginia did have a chance to tie it at the end. Um, they had a catch to like the one that would have stopped the clock, and they would have been able to get like a like a, at least a play or two off. And it was fourth down, and the guy looked like he caught it, but it was it was on the ground, and it was no catch. So that was the end of the game. So it was kind of a uh, you know, uh, let down how the game ended, but you know, that's the way it goes. Uh, but Pitt survives. And like I said, coming into next week against Tennessee, they're really going to have to bring their a game, especially on defense, which their defense was all right. But like I said, I liked West Virginia as a solid offense. So maybe they can keep them at 30 points. And if Slovis, I think we'll be better next week, uh, considering it was his first game with this offense. And also, you know, man, someone I I follow on Twitter, um, I can't remember his name, Drew something on, he's Gator Drew. 
uh, he was saying that Slovis was doing a lot of dump passes and screens. And I looked back at the highlights of the game highlights, you know, the 10 minute package I usually look at. And, uh, you know, I was like, what are you talking about? I looked at the review and like a lot of the plays he was throwing downfield, like at least like 10, 15 yards in the air. Um, it was really only like a handful, like maybe one or two plays I saw that were like, you know, uh, that were short that ended up getting long runs. But hey, man, to each your own. Maybe you saw one play and you just assume that's what it was. I still think Slovis had a hell of a game. He had over 300 yards. Um, I, I've always thought he's had talent. I thought he's capable. I thought he's, you know, a decent arm. Um athletic enough to be able to make some plays if things break down it's uh you know the coach for uh pit uh narduzzi he's he's building something there which i'm grateful for because pit throughout the history of college football has been a solid program and had some really high highs in the 70s and dan marino was there and tony dorsett and you know, has been a team, you know, played for a national championship one year, you know, has been a team that has always had some tradition, but like just kind of fell off for a long while, you know, even Larry Fitzgerald in the 2000s, but never really like put in 10, 11 win seasons until last year. And, you know, they won 10, 11 games and then they won the, uh, I believe it was the Orange Bowl. And, you know, I... I hope they do well because I like the fact that a team like that can resurrect and, uh, you know, compete against these other big dogs of college football. The game against Tennessee we'll talk about in the uh, week two preview, but uh, definitely uh, something to look out from this game. Okay, moving on. A game we didn't do, we didn't uh, do predictions for, but Penn State Purdue, an exciting game. Very close game. I, you know, I didn't watch the highlights to remember what I watched, but it was definitely a back and forth game. Uh, Penn State came back. You know, they got kind of lucky though because they had a uh, uh, they had a fumble that they picked up at the end of the the first half, and then like uh, Clifford hit Strange the tight end like for like fifteen twenty yards, and then he ends up like breaking a couple of tackles and running it all the way to the end zone for a score. And it was like, it probably the difference in the game. And it was such a like fluke confluence of events that like, I'm so surprised they even scored that way, but Hey, sometimes it's better to be lucky than good. But, uh, uh, sometimes you, you know, when you rely on luck like that, your luck will run out and you know, you have to be better you have to put yourself in a better situation than that. But, uh, hats off to them. Uh, Clifford looked okay. I'm not, I've never been blown away with that guy, nor almost any Penn State quarterback ever. Um, but uh, Manny Diaz is now the defensive coordinator for them. So, I mean, Purdue's a, a good offense. You know, Brom is definitely a good coach. And, you know, it's uh, it's been trending in the right direction for Purdue the last couple of years. Last year was really good, especially that bowl victory against Tennessee. Um, their offense is decent, like I said, but, uh, you know, Penn State was supposed to make better situated with their defense, but their defense looked average. 
So going forward, that might be an issue. But again, it's the first game against a, a decent opponent. So you kind of just have to, when you have a decent opponent first week, you just have to like hope that you win more than like really try to destroy that team or that you play as best as you can. You got to hope that you just come out with the victory. And they did. So they start off the Big Ten Conference games with a, you know, a big victory. So they move on. Okay, getting into Saturday's games, NC State, East Carolina, what a hell of a game. I mean, I loved this game. I loved watching it. We were getting ready to go to a movie on Saturday before um, uh, the uh, late games, the 7 o'clock games. And, uh, you know, and I'm on the West Coast in Long Beach. And, you know, uh, the movie was at like 1. But this game was coming down to the wire, and it was just back and forth and like, you know, NC State was up at one point, 21-7. You know, East Carolina came back. They t- they were essentially tying it with like two minutes left. They get the touchdown, and the kicker mix misses the extra point. I'm like, oh, my God, I can't believe it. It was such a brutal way to, to you know, like you're so close and you're getting the tie. And then um, they get the ball back somehow and they're going and they're driving. They're in uh, field goal territory and the kicker misses it. And I'm just like, oh, my God, two kicks and just heartbreaking. I feel for those guys because NC State is potentially a playoff team that everyone really loves. And it's like to have beaten that team would have been huge. And they just just couldn't do it. Um, The other game that was going on the exact same time in North Carolina as well, was UNC App State. Crazy-ass game. Uh, UNC was up at some point. I think it was like 45-21 or 41-21 or something like that. They were up like a couple of scores, and then App State just kept coming back, just kept coming back. They um, It was back and forth, back and forth, and like, you know, I, I – I had to go, so I didn't get to watch the very end. And I watched some of the highlights when they showed it uh, on uh, yesterday. And man, it was the closest you could get. And then the, the 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 thing that really blew my mind was the onside kick that App State uh, kicked to North Carolina after they scored to get within one, I believe, one or two, and. Um, the UNC player picked it up and ran it all the way back instead of dropping to the ground. It could have run out the clock. And it's like, I know you want to score my friend, but you gotta like be smarter than that. Like literally the game was over if you fall down and uh, he scores. So I think it was like a nine point game or something like that gives app state the chance to score again or whatever. And like they, Oh, it was like an eight-point game, and they scored, and then they had to go for two, and they missed the two-point conversion, and that was it. That was the game, and it's like, man, 63-61, what a game. Drake May had 352 yards, four TDs, so we're looking at the heir apparent to Sam Howell here, so maybe there is something there. Um, You know, App State is a decent defense. It's been a decent team for the last, like, at least five, six years. So there is, you know, better talent there than other G5 schools. And um, just remarkable. I mean, App State scored 40 points in the fourth quarter alone. That is ridiculous. That is remarkable. Just a hell of a finish 
Um, I'm surprised UNC survived, but they did. So both UNC and NC State survive uh, uh, G5 foes. <laughs> FIFA foe. <laughs> anyway, so moving on, my game of the day, and I knew it was going to be a really good one, and it paid off for me because I was, you know, I don't know. I just you can tell with certain games are going to be better than others. And this one looked like it was going to be really good. And it lived up to the billing. And uh, it was uh, Cincinnati, Arkansas, Cincinnati played well, but Arkansas, KJ Jefferson, you know, KJ, he's KG, man. He really is. He he's, he's very capable. Um, you know, Arkansas is in good hands with him behind center. And, uh, you know, I I knew they could pull it off. Um, even though Cincinnati's quarterback had 325 yards and two TDs and a pick, KJ Jefferson had 223 and three t- TDs and also 62 yards on the ground and a TD. So KJ outplayed him. They had a lead. Um, I think it was like 21-7 at one point. And then Cincinnati was coming back. I know I saw some Cincinnati fans that were really like, oh, we were like drop passes and whatever and blah, 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 and giving all these excuses of how close they were. I'm like, I get it. You know what? You might have done well, but uh, you didn't win. And it was like a two-score game with five minutes left. So, like, you know, you weren't as close as you probably think you were. Um, But, hey, you know what? It it was – it was closer than some of the other games that day against uh, top 25 opponents. Um, but uh, Arkansas wins 31-24, and I'm excited for this Arkansas team. I like them. I think they're very capable team, very capable of potentially beating an Alabama or, uh, you know, a Georgia if they play them. I don't think they play Georgia, though. Um, but they're definitely capable of beating uh, uh, Alabama if they play them. Um, they could be Texas A&M. Um, they play BYU, which is interesting, and Liberty. Those are two very tough games. Uh, but uh, we'll see more this week when uh, we do the uh, um, the preview of week two. But let's move on to the next one. Blowout City, Oregon, Georgia. Now, I didn't pick a blowout. Ian picked more of a blowout. He was saying 28-7. Um, which he was right. And Georgia wins 49 to three and sets Bennett sets in Bennett had a huge game. He, I think three sixty eight something like that with three TDs. And I think a rushing TD at least. Um, I watched the highlights of the 10 minute package. Like I said, that I do of almost every game. Most of those, Yards that he got passing were um, from broken tackles, were like short passes that ended up going like 30 yards. And, you know, it has less to do with Georgia being this great, phenomenal offense and more to do with the fact that Oregon, you know, Thibodeau's gone. The talent on defense is not there. And Dan Lanning is a first year, first time head coach that doesn't know what he's doing. He may eventually know what he's doing, uh, but I don't know. I 
it is a big win and it looks amazing, but by the end of the year, I'm assuming that Oregon is going to only have like seven, eight wins. They don't seem like a team that's a contender and they seem like they're going to struggle with anyone that's good on their schedule. And, uh, you know, Georgia will dominate most bad teams. That's good for them. You know, even, even, you know, good teams can dominate bad opponents. That doesn't mean that they're capable of beating Alabama. It doesn't mean they're capable of beating Ohio State. Doesn't even mean they're capable of beating, I don't know, Utah. And those are the teams right now that most people respect as potential playoff teams. Not so much Utah, but we'll talk about that in a second. But I just don't think Georgia is as dominant as people think. Um, I know they got a real soft schedule after this. I think they play some, you know, tomato can next week. And then they don't really play anyone until, oh, God. They play... Okay, all right. They they play one team with a heartbeat in the next six weeks, and that is South Carolina. But I don't even know how good South Carolina is because we'll talk about it. Oh, well, actually, I don't have it on the list. But South Carolina, you know, looked kind of average against Georgia State. Spencer Rattler threw two picks, but that's their best opponent in the next six weeks. They play Samford, Kent State, Missouri. Auburn, who looks terrible, and, uh, well, they played a tomato can, so you have no way of knowing, but I still think they're terrible. Uh, they were 6-6 six and six last year. And then Vanderbilt, which, I mean, is having a great run right now, but they played Hawaii and Elon. Give me a break. But after that, the uh, like, they have no test, really, essentially, till Florida. And then after that, they only really have God. This is the easiest schedule I have ever seen. They play, they play Mississippi State as their one West opponent outside of the Auburn uh, locked-in West opponent, and Tennessee and Kentucky will be solid games. But I just, and Georgia Tech sucks, so it's like Mississippi State is really the only opponent that will really um, press them for. Uh, you know, anything. So it's like Florida and Mississippi State, that's it. And maybe Tennessee, like those three opponents and Kentucky. I don't know. It, their four-game stretch is tough, but like outside of that, there's nothing. There's nothing on that schedule that looks threatening in any way. They should smoke every one of these opponents. And that South Carolina game, I don't know. I just I'm not a believer in uh Shane Beamer. I don't think he's that great. I just uh he reminds me of uh God Dooley that coached at uh Tennessee. I can't remember his first name, but that guy was like the only reason it seemed like he even was given the chance because he was Vince Dooley's son and he was like such a clown at Tennessee. I mean, it was hilarious to watch it happen. But it was pathetic. He was he's a terrible coach. Okay, so moving on. Uh, probably the best finish the whole weekend. Houston, UTSA. I watched the highlights, man. This was 
this is for you, Ian. I know you love this team, and it was close. You know, went to triple overtime where they start doing the two-point conversions back and forth, and Houston got theirs, and UTSA didn't, and it was 37-35. The Agent Zero Harris for uh, the quarterback for UTSA, he's, he's man, he's he's got some moves, and he's got an arm, and they've got a decent team. I mean, they had Houston on the ropes. I, you know, they were up 21 to seven with a fourth quarter lead. And then, uh, then they tied it with two seconds left. It's just, oh, crazy. I just, I feel for UTSA. They, they, they should have beat these guys. Um, but, uh, I'm interested to see where UTSA goes because I don't think their schedule is that difficult because they play in a, a lesser G5 conference. So, you know, they could be a team that's 11 and one this year. Definitely got potential. Um, But Houston, strong, strong outlook, you know, definitely going to be one of the better teams in the uh, Atlantic Coast Conference. uh, Or, sorry, Atlantic Coast Conference. Athletic, American Athletic Conference. Got it (laughs) way off. Sorry. Uh, Moving on. Okay, BYU-USF. Blowout city, just terrible beginning to the the third year of Jeff Scott's tenure. Um, you know, I was uh listening into the Twitter spaces that USF heard had on uh Sunday, and a lot of them were really upset and really pissed off. Um it's a terrible start. And honestly, sometimes there's nothing you can do when the terrible start happens like that. You know, there's been teams in Super Bowls that have terrible starts and they just can't, they can't overcome that and they just get blown out. Um, it just happens. Sometimes teams just get on a roll in a game and there's nothing you can do. And, uh, but also USF had a lot of drop balls which, you know, you're not going to win games if you're dropping passes like that. And it just was a shame to see because, you know, Gary Bohannon put the ball where it should be. And I, I, I'm i really liking him, and I'm I excited to see what he does in this offense. Um, you know, Weaver was amazing. Um, Horn had a, a kickoff return for a touchdown. Um, you know, it just – couldn't put it together. You know, it started off with first play on offense for uh, uh, for BYU was a touchdown. The BYU comes back with the ball again shortly after that and fumbles the ball and USF returns it. But then they say it wasn't a fumble, so that could have been 7-7. And then uh, Bohannon uh, throws a pass and um, – it gets uh, intercepted and returned for a touchdown. And that was pretty much it. From then on out, it was a route. And it was like they went up 38-7 at half, and it was just – it was over. There was nothing they could do. I mean, when you're down 31 points, you're not going to – you're not going to come back. It's pretty much good night at that point. I'm not giving up. Uh, Jeff Scott looked underprepared for this team. And it's kind of remarkable that he's in his third year and that looked as feeble as that. But, you know, they don't have the 
the most difficult conference. So there's some, there are wins there. So they just have to, you know, get the team, rally the team, get on, get on the same page, line up when the plays are coming up, you know, get ready for the, I don't know. It's just, it's just frustrating to see. Cause it's like, I know there is some talent there cause they've had a bunch of transfers coming in, you know, it's just, they have to make plays. Like I said, wide receivers got to catch balls. You know, defense has got to make tackles. You know, line up in position, hold your gaps. You know, you know, uh, DBs got to get leverage. And it's just, it's not, it's not the end of the world. You know, it's definitely terrible to lose the first game the way you did like that. But again, you at least scored 21 points. You didn't get like completely annihilated like the Wisconsin game a couple years ago. And also, BYU may end up winning like 10 games, which, you know, I wouldn't be surprised because they look really good. Their offense looks fluid and their defense is strong. So, uh, I mean, BYU could be definitely a 10-11 win team this year, potentially. Okay, moving on. The game of the day, the game of the weekend, the story that everyone is talking about. I wrote an article about this. Um, you know, specifically about Anthony Richardson and his quarterback play and his specific moment in the game. But uh, the whole game, just a Utah, Florida lived up to the billing. I mean, it was it was such a great game. I mean, like it was back and forth, answer for answer, you know, besides the two field goals that Utah hit consecutively, every other score was answered by the other team. So it just was a, just a tremendous game. Um, there were probably more penalties than uh, Billy Napier would have liked, but I think it was a total of seven. And then um, uh, Utah only had like two, but overall a well-played game. There was only one interception uh, which was the game-ending interception, which Florida won the game 29-26 with that game-sealing interception in the end zone as Utah was driving with 22 seconds left. Amar, Amari Bernie with the hero play with that interception, and he just you know, took so much flack from a lot of Gator fans the last couple of years. And coming up with that play, you know, totally redeemed himself, and it was great, and it... I feel very happy for that guy. You know, I know that I've probably criticized him and other others have, and it's just, I'm, it, it's good to see a redemption story like that, to see something like that to happen for someone that's been in the, the, the program for six years. I think I heard, like, that's a long time to be somewhere. And, you know, he didn't transfer out. He stayed, he wanted to work at it and he, it paid off and it's just the first game and we'll see if he, you know, gets better and maybe, you know, does some better things in coverage, which there was him in coverage and he got the interception. That was huge. So, um, but you know, the article that I wrote was about Anthony Richardson's two point conversion uh, in the middle of the game. Well, not the middle of the fourth quarter um, Utah had scored and they missed a two point conversion that would have put them up a certain amount. And so then Florida decided to go for two after they scored a touchdown on Montel Johnson's run. 
And so Richardson takes the snap. He goes back. Two defenders, one being one of those defenders being uh, Muhammad Diabate, the former uh, Florida Gator who transferred to Utah. He does a jump, spin, pump fake that totally freezes Diabate, who goes flying, completely misses him. And the other guy that's coming in, the DB, kind of like loses track of him as well from that move. And he loses both of them, goes to his right, Standing in the end zone is Frazier's wide open, wide open. And Richardson just strikes it in there just like a bullet. And it was, I mean, it's, it's replayed everywhere. I have it on the article. If you want to look at it, you know, just check out on haterradio.com. The article is there and the, uh, you know, the highlight is there. It's, I mean, if ever there is a Heisman moment, it's that. And I'll tell you why, because it was the importance of the play. So not only does he get the two points off this amazing athletic freak of a play, and you could tell when he scored how pumped he was, Richardson was just going nuts because he was like, he knew how big it was. And so they go up three at that point, um, which Utah goes down and scores. So then Utah is up four. Uh, Florida comes back. Uh, Richardson score uh, converts a fourth down, a couple of the third downs. And then uh, on a short run, he scores. And there's only like a minute 35 left or something like that, or minute 20 left. So there's not much time. And backtrack a little bit. Uh, Billy Napier ran down the clock and called a timeout at a certain point to run down the clock specifically so that it would give um, Utah less time on that fourth down conversion. So they had less time. And then so when Utah is driving to score, it's they have to score a field goal to tie, so not a, a field goal to win. So they're not lining up in their offensive play calling to uh, score the field goal to win. They're driving and play calling like they're scoring to score a touchdown and and then uh deferring for the the three the three points if they do not get the uh uh yardage or get close to the touchdown so that they're using it the fact that they'll score the touchdown or just sufficing for the field goal well because of the fact that they hit that two-point conversion by richardson it forced that situation if they didn't get the two points and it was just a one point lead. All Utah would have to do was get in field goal range and they would have, they would have won the game. So because of that two point conversion is the reason that Florida won that game and the interception, obviously, but because that field goal or that, uh, that two point conversion was made, uh, it forced Utah into playing for a touchdown instead of just sufficing for the field goal because they knew, I don't know. I don't know if they knew if they, if they would have kept going in overtime, they would have won who knows, but they knew they wanted to win the game. And the only way they could have won the game is scoring a touchdown. And so they had to throw it in the end zone and forcing it. And it's, 
you know, ends up the tight end fell as Bernie was right there and Bernie just made the play. And I, it was a remarkable game. Florida played a hell of a game. Utah played a hell of a game. You know, it was fun to watch, you know, great atmosphere. Like the crowd was crazy. It was just, I mean, you can't ask for a better game than uh, a season opener like that. And it's probably the biggest home opener in Florida history and one of the biggest victories they've ever had at home. Just an amazing game. And Utah's not done. Utah is going to be a team that is going to contend this year. This is a non-conference loss. It's not going to hurt them in the long run. And in any ways, if, if Florida ends up doing very well, it may not end up hurting them at all because it'd be like, oh, they lost to one of the better teams on the road, then then it's no big deal. I mean, it's if Florida ends up doing very well, we'll see. But regardless, they just need to win out in their uh, conference, and they will uh, they probably end up in the CFP. So, which I believe they can. If they get two losses, I don't think they they will. But um, I mean, I don't think they'll get in the CFP if they get two losses. But but uh, I it's potential them run the table. We'll see. And I was just uh, I joked on Twitter. It's like, God, what if both Florida and Utah get back in the playoff and we have a rematch on a neutral field? I mean, that'll be a hell of a game. I mean, I would love to see that. That was evenly matched teams. Both ran the ball very well. I think they both had over 200 yards rushing. Like Richardson was just a beast. It just crazy game just a crazy game i loved it i loved every second of it i hope you all did too i hope you all get to watch it uh okay moving on um army coastal carolina uh i saw like a weird highlight of this it was i didn't get a full package of this so coastal wins 38 28 coastal starting off strong grayson mccall back at it looking to you know improve on last year we'll see what they do um, Army game opponent, like usual, solid run game. You know, that's what they do. They've been solid for a couple of years now. Uh, the next, the biggest game, the the top five matchup, Notre Dame, Ohio State, kind of a boring game. It was like, I think it was 10-7 at halftime, kind of just lame. I wasn't really into it. Um, you know, Notre Dame, I don't know. They didn't score after the like 12 minute mark of the second quarter or something like that. So Ohio state's defense is good. You know, uh, they grabbed Oklahoma state's, uh, old defensive coordinator and he's very good. I'm very impressed with that guy. He's, he's definitely a great defensive coordinator. Um, but, um, CJ Stroud looked all right. Not nothing amazing. Just kind of, you know, solid numbers, you know, Notre Dame has a, Good defense. Marcus Freeman is a defensive coach. He was their former defensive coordinator. Now the head coach there, you know, had them ready to play. And, you know, it wasn't, I don't know, it wasn't terrible, but it just wasn't exciting. And I was just kind of bored with the game. So Ohio State ends up winning 21-10. But you know what? For Ohio State, that's huge because it's like they didn't have to win big. You know, they didn't have to win exciting in a game that they're playing against you know, a good opponent They they just had to win and they did. And, you know, coming into, you know, when the selection committee decides who gets to go, 
a win against a possible 11 and one Notre Dame is going to look way better than anyone else's uh, uh, victory. So, uh, but I don't have much to say about that. I'm not hating on Ohio state. I just kind of was like bored with the game. Um, but uh, Ohio state, they, they didn't run the ball that well. They had some, you know, decent plays in the passing game, but nothing crazy. Uh, but anyways, moving on Memphis, Mississippi state, man, uh, Mississippi state just throwing the ball all over the yard. Uh, Rogers just had a hell of a game and, uh, you know, it's, you know, Mike Leach is just, he's just ridiculous. He's just a great coach. He knows how to coach offenses. You know, Rogers went, 450 for five TDs and just one pick, you know, they don't run the ball because it's not really a part of what the offense does. They kind of run, run the ball, like to set up all their passing stuff. Um, but uh, no, it's just, it's crazy how, how good this offense is. And um, they beat uh, Memphis 49, 23. So tough start for Memphis. We'll see if they bounce back. Um, but uh doesn't look good for them. Okay, SMU North Texas. Uh, SMU looked strong, 48-10. Really wasn't a contest. Uh, Louisville Syracuse. Man, Louisville looks bad. Syracuse wins 31-7. I was totally surprised with this outcome, but you know what? Uh, is what it is. Uh, Cunningham, Ian, I'm sorry, dude. He just does not look good. Uh, but anyways, uh, so moving on. Boise State, Oregon State. Man, Oregon State looked pretty good. They were in control of this game the whole time. 34-17 is the final. Um, just a solid win for them. Uh, I, I'm, I don't know if Boise State's just not that good this year or if at Oregon State just might be good, which I think might be the case. I think Oregon State is really turning the corner, which is good because I like to see them compete with Oregon. It's always good to have both of them do well because Oregon State's been kind of dog pissed the last couple of years. But uh moving on, uh let me do these this one real quick that I wanted to talk about how terrible it was. Iowa beat South Dakota State seven to three. They were up at one point five to three. Five to three. Man, that would have been pathetic if that was the final score. Still looks bad seven to three, but five to three would have been a joke. People would have laughed at laughed that out of Still, it was ugly. Man, it was ugly. Both teams are terrible. Just garbage teams. And it's just like, I don't know. I Iowa, I, what I don't get is, okay, Kirk Ferentz is a really good defensive coach and, you know, a good fundamentals football coach. And a lot of the offensive linemen end up going to the league. Why is he, like, so adamant against, like, recruiting players that can play offense like Iowa State can recruit players there but Iowa just doesn't seem to have any kind of decent uh offense ever like I don't even remember a single offense that was like threatening in any way it's always been a really solid defense and just a pedestrian offense either way so I'm moving on uh, I'll I'll just update real quick so I don't forget. But uh, as we're moving on here, Clemson is up thirty four ten just now. They had a block punt and then they had a short field to score a touchdown against Georgia Tech. So it looks like Clemson is probably going to be better than they were last year. I'm thinking, 
You know, they're not going to blow out everyone, but I think they'll be the offense will be able to move the ball better than it was last year, which last year was terrible. Okay. So, um, last one I want to talk about of week one the craziest of finishes besides UTSA, Houston, and UNC App State was FSU LSU. Both these teams look like dog shit, like mistakes all over the board. Florida State had to pull some like trickeration to even get their first touchdown. And like, I don't know, the LSU DBs weren't that great. Um, LSU lost one of their D tackles uh, like within the first several minutes. He like was celebrating a a stop a, a a tackle and then he like twisted his knee. Um Bute was I think he had two catches and wasn't until like the last five minutes of the game. Um you know Jaden Daniels was running for his life the whole time. The offensive line looked like shit. I mean it could be that FSU's D line was probably putting pressure, which it's probably both a little bit of both. Um, which the one kid for Florida State, I can't remember his name, the defensive end, the transfer that came in from the smaller school. He's good. I will admit that is a good player. Um, I'm not really impressed with anything else from Florida State. That Jordan Travis kid is trash. Um, you know, he put up decent numbers, but I'd like to see it like against like, you know, an actual opponent, like maybe even Pitt or uh Miami or Florida. And or just someone with a pulse on defense because Brian Kelly ain't it, man. Dude, he came in, but I, I think it's more like let me take that back. I I think Brian Kelly will probably do all right, but it's just that team is in such disarray the last several years that it totally makes sense that um they played the way they did on uh Sunday night it's it's a far cry from that 2019 national championship team and they've got a lot of work to do and it's not going to happen overnight I mean god they had two fumbles on punt returns they had two block kicks one on a field goal one on a PAT attempt like you cannot have those mistakes and win games that's not going to happen that's four mistakes on special teams you were going to lose games when that stuff happens all they had to do is kick that field goal and they would have won that game that's really it if you block if you block people on that field goal you win the game that's it that's all really had to do you know the pat would have tied it and it's funny which i'll bring this up that i tweeted uh my girlfriend even called the fact that they should have went for two it made no sense that they were going for one and I even knew it too. When they were going for the PAT, I was like, they're probably going to block this. And they did. And it was, you know, I watched the replay and a breakdown by some coach. The The outside guy, he was focusing on the last guy way out, which he has a way longer way to go to get to the, the to block the kick. So he's supposed to let that guy go. And the other thing is, I thought they're supposed to lock legs there. I thought maybe I don't remember, but either way, he didn't. And he doesn't hold because what he's supposed to do 
is hold next to the lineman and then on his left arm, like put his left arm out to like maybe get a piece of that guy. If maybe you don't have to, but it's like, if you can type thing, if you can like just get him a nudge or something, but really you're supposed to go after the guy between you and the lineman. That's it. You're blocking that guy in front of you or to the right of you a little bit, and you're taking him on. And that's what you're supposed to do. If you don't take him on, he's going to come right through you and block that shit. And he did, he went right through and it was, he had a closer uh, vantage point or closer path to get to the kick. And he did just, oh man. And I'll, I didn't recap it, but so at the end of that game, Florida state, um, they were after one of the, the, the last fumble on the punt by LSU, Florida state is driving about to score. They're on the, what is it? Like three yard line, third and goal. Mark uh, Norvell, the genius that is Norvell, decides to do a pitch, which is the dumbest thing you could do with the game on the line. And he fumbles the ball and LSU recovers and they go 99 yards. And I will say I am impressed with Daniels on that drive. And I would say Daniels is not bad. Just that offensive line is terrible. The reason why he does scramble so much, but man, they go 99 yards and they score and it's like Florida state. I mean, just like old times, just <laughs> terrible. They could be and trying to lose this game. And I would, it would have been so funny because I believe if they went to overtime, I think LSU probably would have won. Um, I don't think Florida state was as strong near the end of the game. Cause like LSU kind of was like kind of figuring things out a little bit on offense there. And like my fiance said, they should have went for two because they could have just won the game right there. But Brian Kelly, you know, maybe he'll figure things out. I think he will. I think there's more chance that he will than he won't. It's just going to be tough this year. It's going to – it's – I mean, they were sixth or seventh in the West last year, and they're more than likely going to continue that this year. So I don't envision – I don't envision many wins this year for them. So it's going to be tough. And FSU, I still see like at least five losses. So yeah, congratulations on beating one of the worst teams in the SEC West because you really haven't earned anything yet. So fuck y'all. All right. Okay. So now what we do is the Heisman list and the CFP team. So my Heisman list, I have... CJ Stroud, I have Bryce Young, I have Caleb Williams, and I have my boy, Anthony Richardson. And those other three guys did okay. None of their stats were really that crazy, but considering Anthony's opponent, you know, it's a hell of a game. 168 through the air, 17 of 24. Um he had uh, 106 on the ground, three rushing touchdowns, no turnovers, you know, just a amazing control of the offense. They were moving, you know, uh, formations, uh, you know, all kinds of stuff. Like it was just different checks, different things going on, like just constantly changing things up and like having having the team like it. it it's amazing what. Anthony was doing with with the command of that offense and um 
you know, just a remarkable game, especially that play, you know, check out my article. Cause I, I, I give it more due diligence there. And especially you get to see the actual play there on there too. Um, but just a hell of a game by him. And, you know, I'm not going to include sets and Bennett on here. Cause you know what? A lot of those yards were through the air and I really didn't think Oregon was that great considering how much uh, broken tackles there were. Okay. Moving on. Oh, actually Ian's, Let's see, Ian's Heisman. He's got CJ Stroud, Hendon Hooker, Bijan Robinson, which I didn't think Bijan did that great. Uh, and Spencer Sanders, which that's that's an intriguing one. I didn't see his stats, but I'll, I, I might have to check that out. Um, but that's a that's one to uh, to look for. Um, Ian's CFP teams are Clemson, Michigan, Oklahoma, Ohio State, Bama, and Georgia. I'm going to go with, I'm going to say, I'm going to still say Utah because I think they're better than a lot of those teams and I think they'll dominate Pac-12. And I think um, Ohio State, Georgia, definitely. And one more. One more. That's tough. I don't know right now. I guess Baylor I'm going to go with because he doesn't have Baylor on that list. And I think Baylor might be the team out of the Big 12 this year. I don't know about Oklahoma. I mean, I know I didn't talk about him. And again, I'll let you know, USC, UCLA fans, that I didn't talk about you guys only because you guys were playing lesser opponents that really there's not much to talk about there. We will talk about them during better games, especially conference games. I'll talk about you. Just it's, it's these non-conference games that are like, like Alabama played nobody, you know, uh, you know, I, I, Oklahoma played nobody. I don't, I don't talk about those games because they don't really have anything to really give credence to. The only real reason I talked about that Tennessee game was because I wanted to talk about how good their offense was and what their defense looked like heading into the Florida game. And it's the only real reason I want to talk about it early. And also because it sets up for the, what I'm going to talk about here in a little bit for week two uh, preview. So with that in mind, let's move into the week two preview. Um, First game we have here is Louisville USF. After seeing Louisville get destroyed by Syracuse, I don't think UCF is going to have a problem. So I'm going to say UCF wins like 27 to like, I'd say 17, something like that. And then Ian has is UCF winning 30 to 20, which it sounds about right. Alabama, Texas, um, you know, Texas, what was five and seven last year or something? I don't know, something terrible. They're not good. And, uh, you know, they played a tomato can to begin with. They have some decent parts, but, you know, Alabama is Alabama. And, you know, Bryce Young is going to throw all over them. So I'm going to say Bryce Young gets like at least 300 yards. 
Yeah, I got Bama winning like 45 to like 10, something like that. And then Ian's got them winning uh, 38-18, so we're not far off. South Carolina, Arkansas, interesting game, interesting game. Um, God, man, let me see. South Carolina, I can see South Carolina winning this game, but I think Arkansas is going to win. Arkansas is going to win. I'm thinking like probably 32 to 27. Maybe it's going to be closer than people think. Uh, Ian has them. Oh, South Carolina winning 27, 24. I don't think that's going to happen, but it's possible. Like I said, it has the potential that South Carolina could win. Uh, Next one, Wake Forest, Vandy. Um. I don't know. I mean, Wake Forest's quarterback has been playing well. Um, considering that Sam Hartman's out for whatever reason, I don't know what what is his injury. Um, but uh, but the Wake Forest system probably works very well. So maybe maybe Wake Forest just runs away with this one. I'm going to say Wake Forest wins. I'm going to say probably 35. I'm going to say Vandy 24. And Ian's got it <laughs> close, 34-20, so we're not far off. Missouri, Kansas State. So Ian is talking about this kid, Sanders. So maybe Kansas State's got something here. I would think – I don't think highly of Missouri. I think they're going to lose a lot of games. So I think Kansas State wins this. So I'm going to say Kansas State wins uh, 37 to, like, 20. And Ian has it, Missouri winning 30 to 28, even though Missouri, or uh, he likes the Kansas State player. So moving on, UTSA, Army. I'm going to defer to Ian on this one. So I'm going to look at his score and just kind of play off that because I I don't even know because I'd have to just give up something that is kind of baseless. Uh, Actually, you know what? I'm going to go with my own before I look at it. Uh, UTSA, I'm going to say wins this. I'm going to say... 38 to 22. And Ian's got 35, uh, 45, 34 UTSA. Uh, UAB Liberty. I put this one on here because Ian is a, thinks that UAB could be a dark horse team. Um, Hugh Freeze has done well. Liberty last year with Malik Willis. I don't know too much about Liberty this year, like if they're as strong. I'm going to lead towards UAB just because Ian feels strongly about them. So I'm going to say UAB uh, 27, Liberty 24, so a close one. Ian has it. Oh, he didn't give a score. (laughs) Oh, well. Um, uh, Next one, Tennessee Pitt. I mean, this is the one that why I watched that Ball State game and the Pitt-West Virginia is because I wanted to know what was going to happen in this game, and I wanted to be informed as best I could to make a decision on this. So last year, Pitt won. It was in Knoxville. Um, What's-his-face? Pickett is no longer there, so you don't have Pickett there, but you have Keaton Slovis, who is a stud, and Addison is no longer there. He's in L.A. at USC. Um, I like Pitt because I like what Narduzzi is doing. 
I like his defense approach and his offense has been solid the last couple of years. I think Pitt wins this one. I know Tennessee is like, oh, we can score on anyone. Oh, well, yeah, but you can't stop anyone. So what's what's the point? Like, you know, you can talk all you want about scoring a ton of points, but you're not you're not uh, you know, you're not winning games when you're letting teams score 35 plus, which I think that's what's gonna be. I think Pitt's gonna score 35, and I think Tennessee's gonna score like 32. So it's going to be close, but I think Pitt pulls it off. And Ian's not far. Ian's got 28-27, so we're both thinking a close game. Washington State, Washington State, Wisconsin. Interesting game because I don't know too much about Washington State because they lost Mike Leach a couple years ago, and then the guy that came in afterwards kind of fell apart because he didn't want to get vaccinated, which, like, why, dude? Just get vaccinated. Like, is it really the end of the world? Like, I don't want to talk about politics or whatever, but like, if you're required to do something for uh, your team, just fucking do it and don't worry about it. Like, why have to be, have, you have to take a grandstand over something as stupid as that. But anyways, so he gets fired and now there's another guy there. I don't even know who it is, um, but Wisconsin has been game the last several years. Paul Christ has done well. Um, I think Wisconsin wins this. I'm going to say a low-scoring affair. I'm going to say 22 to, like, 17. So I'm going with. And Ian's got Wisconsin winning 24-6. All right. Houston, Texas Tech. Houston looked good last week. Texas Texas Tech, I don't know too much about. Um, I think Houston wins this one. I'm going to say Houston wins uh, 34 to 21. And Ian's got Texas Tech winning 48-42. I think Houston will win. I think Houston's got a solid team, and I don't think Texas Tech is, is that good. Uh, I think Ian's giving them more credit than they deserve. Iowa State, Iowa, great rivalry. One of the better ones in the uh, in the Midwest, you know, Big 12 against Big 10. I like Iowa State because Iowa just looks like garbage, cannot do anything on offense. So I don't know how good Iowa State is now that um, their quarterback and their running back are gone. Um, you know, they're replacing all those guys You know, they had like everyone return last year. And I thought they would have done extremely well. They kind of, you know, kind of fell off a little bit, but, uh, Matt Campbell's a hell of a coach. He'll have them ready to go. And I think Iowa state wins. I'm going to say Iowa state wins like 31 to 24. Um, no, I'm not giving Iowa 24. I'm going to say Iowa scores like. 12, something like that, something weird because we're going to get like a safety or something. Uh, 31 12, and Ian's got the Iowa State, Iowa State winning 23 10. So we both have Iowa State winning. Gardner Webb, Coastal Carolina. I, I, I kind of put this on mainly because I used to work at the uh, athletic department at Gardner Webb. I love those guys. I wish them well always. Um, I cannot, I cannot in good respect, give Gardner Webb the, uh, the victory here. Uh, Coastal is going to win. Coastal, I'm going to say 
41 to like 10. Um, Ian has that 38, 13. He says teal chickens. <laughs> so go Chanticleers. All right. One of the bigger games of the day. Uh, just the final score, just let you know, 41, 10, uh, Clemson beats Georgia tech. So Clemson off to a good start. Um, so this game used to be kind of a, you know, game you didn't really pay attention to as a Florida fan. And I'm talking about Kentucky, Florida, because for 30 plus years, Florida beat Kentucky in a row. And you just kind of, it was an afterthought that Florida would win. There were some games that were closer than others, but most part Florida blew them out and it was never really close. So you never really even cared. But then last couple of years, Dan Mullen comes in and decides to lose twice to Kentucky and open the door for these morons to think that they're better than they are. And they have done better record-wise, largely to do with the fact that they, you know, springboard off these victories against Florida into better seasons, which I think both the years that they beat Florida, they ended up winning like 10 games, I think. I know one of them they won 10. I'm not sure about the uh, last year. Uh, but regardless, um, I didn't think Kentucky looked all that good last week. I watched the highlights of against Miami of Ohio. You know, Kentucky went two of eight on third downs, 0 and one on fourth down. So that's not good. Uh, they had 50 yards rushing against a very terrible opponent and they were sacked four times. So uh, I don't know, you know, they can, puff off their chest and think they're better than Florida, which they really do think that right now, which after Florida beat Utah, I really don't think you should be thinking that their fans think that I know that Mark Stoop doesn't think that I know he knows that Billy Napier is a hell of a coach. And, um, you know, I, I didn't sing the praises of Billy Napier in that, uh, the talk about Utah, but I really should right now because I am so impressed with how Florida is like lining up on the ball, you know, uh, especially all the formations, what they're doing on offense, you know, looks more, way more organized on all levels. Um, you know, it's exciting to watch. You know, I'm confident in this team, unlike the last several years where there was no confidence that they were going to win games. You know, when they were going to 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 tie the game or go ahead and get the winning score, um, I was confident, even though they got to fourth down on one play and like summer were third and long, I was confident they were gonna get the the yardage to get those first downs. And they did it and they kept moving the ball and they're the run game looks great. The offensive line is phenomenal. Like, hell of an offensive line. Like, they're going to be good. And their run game is scary with Montreal Johnson, Naquan Wright, and Trevor Etienne. Just a three-headed monster that, like, good luck, guys. When they're in there, they're the, all three of those guys are dangerous. And what you didn't see much of is Naquan Wright out of the backfield on certain pass plays because he is dangerous as hell with uh, grass in front of him. So um, expect a lot out of that next game 
But again, Billy Napier, I just had to sing his praises because it was just such a difference. And I just loved watching him coach and just he's I'm so happy with the direction of this team. Like, I, I don't know where it will end up, but I know it's going to be good. And I was confident from the second he was hired. And I've just, the more I found out about this guy, the more I've loved, the more I've been happy with who he is as a person, who he is as a coach, who he is as a CEO of the organization, of the, the, of the program. He's just, he's knowledgeable. He's a people person. He uh, knows how to run things. He is just super intelligent, super, uh, you know, just efficient, just making use of things that he has at his disposal. And it's just phenomenal. I just love it every second of it. And back to this game, but I don't think that Kentucky has what it takes to beat Florida. It's in Florida. It's seven o'clock at night. It's this SEC opener. It's going to be just as loud as it was for Utah. It's going to be a remarkable crowd. I mean, Kentucky, I know you've won two games out of the last four years, but you know what? Dan Mullen's no longer here. Todd Grantham is no longer on that sideline. He's no longer calling defensive plays to give you all that you, all the first downs that you can get that you wouldn't normally get. I mean, think about last year, how many penalties there were, how many false starts there were, and it still took a blocked field goal return for a touchdown to really be the difference maker. Will Levis looked average against a Todd Grantham defense. What do you think he's going to do against a Patrick Tony defense? So I got Florida winning. I'm going to say Florida wins. Um, I'm going to say 32 to 17, which... I mean, they may not even score that much, but we'll see. Okay. Um, Ian has the score of – I knew he was going to do this. He has Kentucky winning 24-20, but scared money don't make money, Ian. I'm telling you right now, man, I don't think Kentucky has what you really actually think they do. I mean, Chris Rodriguez is out. Two of their other running backs are hurt. You know, Cavassier Smoke is there, but they didn't really do much last week against a, a tomato can of an opponent. So what do you expect out of uh, a team with three of their top four running backs gone? I don't expect much. Their one receiver did well last week, again, against a, an inferior opponent, so you can get a lot of stats from that. And Levis did have a lot of yards, but he also threw a pick in the end zone, which was ill-advised. And, you know, I just don't think Kentucky is as good as they think they are or that the national media thinks they are as well. All right, last uh, five games. We'll do these rather quickly. Arizona State, Oklahoma State. I like Oklahoma State a lot. Um, their defense suspect with Derek Mason as the uh, coordinator, so it could keep Arizona State in this game. But then again, Emory Jones is the quarterback. So I'm going to go with uh, for Arizona State. So I'm going to say Oklahoma State wins. I'm going to say 31. And I'm going to say like uh, maybe 20 if they're lucky. Lucky. USC, Stanford, huge game for USC. All right. So now I will talk about USC because it is a game to talk about. And we'll we'll definitely wrap it up next week as well. USC going up against... David Shaw and the Cardinal. Um, it's in Palo Alto. I love this game because it used to be one of those games that, like, you know, USC would 
be up for, especially after that 07 loss where they got blitzkrieged by Stanford and had no idea how good they were going to be. But um, I think USC is going to do well in this game. I think Stanford hasn't been as good as they have, have been the last several years. They've been kind of falling off a little bit. I like David Shaw as a coach. He's very good, very competent. But uh, I think USC wins this one. And I'm going to say Caleb Williams probably has like 250 yards passing. Addison has a great game. Uh, he had two touchdowns last week, so it wouldn't be surprised if he puts up at least one score. You know, he's phenomenal. Addison's amazing, and he's just as advertised. And um, USC wins this. I'm going to say USC wins, uh, let's say, 42 to, uh, let's say 20. I'm going to say with that. And Ian's got that one as... Oh, Ian's Arizona State, Oklahoma State was 42-24 Oklahoma State. And then he's got USC winning 28-21. I don't think it's going to be that close. Okay, Baylor, BYU. I'm going to say Baylor wins this, but it's going to be close because BYU is a game opponent. But Baylor is very good. And I'm going to say Baylor wins because uh, I just like the way this team is going. And I think they're going to be the better team in the Big 12. And I think this really sets the tone for the rest of the year for them. So I'm going to say Baylor wins. I'm going to say 31 to, uh, let's say, 28. It's going to be close, though, close. Ian's got upset of the week, BYU 27-23. So there you go. Should be close game. and uh, But I think Baylor's going to pull it out. Oregon State, Fresno State. Is Oregon State as good as they are? Because Fresno State's not a terrible team, especially with uh, Tedford back there. I'm going to say Oregon State wins. I'm going to say 28 to 20. Ian's got it. 31-27 Oregon State. Last one. Interesting game. Mississippi, Mississippi State going up against Arizona in Arizona. Uh, I'm going to say Mississippi State wins. And I'm going to say they're going to win 34-24. And I think Rogers is going to have another hell of a game. Ian's got it 42-24. So, you know, he's, they're going to put up points. Just realize that this year Mississippi State's going to put up points. But that is the show, everybody. The Ian-less hater radio show. That was, that was you know, I, I am grateful that Ian is on this show as much as he is because we have conflicting schedules and he lives on the East Coast and I live here in L.A. So we definitely have a hard time being able to schedule stuff as best we can. And he got sick, so there's nothing you can do. It just happens. But he'll more than likely be back next week. Um, you can follow us at haterradio.com. Plenty of articles. Check out our season preview articles for UCLA, USC, USF, and the University of Florida Gators. You can check out my article on uh, the the uh, the new era, the the Billy Napier era. You can check that out. You can also check out my Anthony Richardson Heisman moment article. Both brand spanking new the last couple of days. I've been working on those hot out of the oven, especially the Richardson one. I did that one at like 12 midnight after the game. I was so pumped. I was like, I got to put this in an article. And it was great. And it, uh, you know, it's doing all right uh, views wise. So I'm appreciative of that one. But um, check us out there. Find us on Hater Radio. 
uh, com. Like I said, on the website, you can also find us at hater underscore radio for Twitter, hater radio one at gmail.com for email. Again, I'm Chris McLean, uh, your host. Uh, we will see you guys next week. Uh, look forward to all these games, especially that Kentucky Florida game. It's going to be the big one. Um, all right. Take care y'all later. <laughs>